What is up, consumies? This is Jamie Lewis, host of the Consumed Podcast, where eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers sit at my creaky kitchen table and talk about life and flavor with me. You're at the table too. Thanks for joining us. Before I introduce today's guest, here's a little bit about sponsors of the Consumed Podcast. We all know eating fruits and veggies is an important part of staying healthy. Fresh, local produce has the most flavor and nutrition, but how do you know what's in season locally? Become part of the Tally community as a member of the Tally Farms Box Program. Tally grows their produce and partners with other California farmers to include the freshest and best-tasting local produce you can find anywhere. Farming on the Central Coast since 1948, the Tally family created the Tally Farms Box to make healthy eating easy and affordable. Here's how it works. Select which size box you want, then choose pickup or home delivery and how often you want to get your box. It's flexible for customization and vacation holds, and included in all boxes are tested recipes and storage recommendations. Come be a part of Tally's healthy lifestyle. Visit tallyfarmsbox.com and use promo code CONSUMED for $10 off your first box. That's promo code CONSUMED for $10 off. Eat fresh, eat local, and eat lots of California fruits and veggies for better health. If you live in San Luis Obispo County or you love San Luis Obispo County, Slow Life magazine is for you. This publication connects its 100,000 readers per issue with the culture, people, and happenings in our area. I write the food column for the magazine, and most recently, I covered Cane Tiki Room in Paso Robles. It's this super fun, adorable spot with pineapple lights outside and tiki gods everywhere and legit cocktails with all the plastic monkeys, umbrellas, and bendy straws. I'd tell you all about the food they serve, too, but you got to wait to read it in the magazine. Find Slow Life in your mailbox every other month if you're a local, or visit slowlifemagazine.com to get a subscription. If you've been listening to the Consume podcast for any length of time, you know I've been supported by Rancho de Anaveros Wines almost since the beginning. Recently, Vintner James Onoveros partnered with Santa Barbara County wine expert Wes Hagen to offer tastings at the historic ranch in the Santa Maria Valley. On the Rancho de Onoveros website, I love it. It says, this is not your average wine tasting. Please allow two to three hours for the full experience and bring your boots. I've been to the ranch house and in the Rancho Onoveros Vineyard, and let me tell you, it's just one of the most heartfelt, down-to-earth, yet sublime experiences. The place is laden with history, and it doesn't hurt that the native nine Pinot Noir is a supernova. It's so good, in fact, that Wine and Spirits magazine named it one of the top 100 wineries of 2021. If you'd like a private tasting at the ranch house with Wes, you owe it to yourself to make a reservation by emailing Wes Hagen at wes at ranchosdeonteveros.com. Okay, on to the episode. Jamie Dietenhofer is co-founder and CEO of Figueroa Mountain Brewing Company based out of Buellton, California. I've been drinking Fig Mountain since they opened in 2010, and I've always appreciated their laser-focused house style. That style has its roots in early discussions between Jamie and his father, Jim Dietenhofer, extending as far back as Jamie's senior year of high school. The two of them, Jamie and Jim, started planning Fig Mountain long before it ever came to be. 
but after careers in urban planning and as a stint as a reality TV star, yes, really, Jamie finally pulled the trigger. Listen in as we talk about Fig Mountain, its beginnings, where it's going, and how a faded keg of Sierra Nevada changed the way Jamie thought about beer forever. Here's Jamie Dietenhofer. So we just talked about our names because our first names are spelled the yes, same way. That's the only reason I took the interview. Yes, well, um, <laughs> but you were named Jem, not yeah. Jamie. Yes, yes. French, and it, French family on the, my mom's side, so. Right. That was the. And that was her idea it. then. Yeah. yeah. So now I'm going to, but that's so funny because um, it's Jaime also. It's Jaime. Yeah. yeah, I just when I or I respond to Jaime. So and do then, I. And, and my step my step grandfather who was awesome. He was uh yeah he was Spanish Mexican and um so I was Jaimito. Jaime. So the I just little went out to Jaimito. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so your your last name is Dietenhofer, so mm-hmm. you have German roots yes, for absolutely. sure. Yep. So and that was coming from your dad's side. Did your dad grow? He didn't grow up in Germany. No, did no. He? Okay. Um, so it was my my grandfather and 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 all that. Those generations came over. Um, ended up in Boston area. Hmm. Uh, eventually North Carolina, and then my dad came out west after after Vietnam. Hmm. Yeah. That's right. I read about your dad. So he came to California because his friends... Yeah. Was he in the army? Yeah, he was in the army. Okay, so yeah. his friends talked about California. Yeah, just on a road trip. Yeah. And <laughs> met your mom. And met my mom. And never never went back, yeah. Which is so great. Yeah. <laughs> so where does the beer thing come from? Let's say for him first. Well, I'd say you know, my dad... I mean, I talked to my dad to get into this business. So um, his, his involvement in beer was really kind of stocking the fridge unbeknownst to, to, to him what it was doing at the time but um you know it was early 90s i was in high school and i would try to steal beers every once in a while to be honest <laughs> um and i remember him um you know eventually stocking beers with that different stuff in the 90s that you know that's kind of the craft beer started you yeah. know coming about um and then, you know, we had a keg party in our senior year. Mm-hmm. and At your house? No, at oh. a friend's house. Doug Feliciano, if you're out there. <laughs> thank you, Doug. Uh, thank you, Doug. Um, but we were getting like, you know, whatever it was, the, the lightest beer that we could afford yeah. at the time. And um, we went to the, the liquor store and the person that was buying us the beer for underage drinkers, I won't name, um, but said, hey, they're all out of the light beer. Mm. But they had this beer called Sierra Nevada. <laughs> and we're like, what is that? You know, it's an IPA. And we're like, I don't know. I don't know how much that cost. And it was like $20 more. And we're like, oh my God, what are we yeah. going to do? And got that beer and took it to the party. And it was the most amazing thing we ever tasted. You probably were all tanked after that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? I, if you're expecting Natty Ice and you end up with Sierra Nevada. Oh my, yeah, it, to, it totally just swacked people. But um, <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of the the entree to that. And then I remember my senior year asking my dad, saying, listen, I want to start a brewery. Your senior year of? High school. Wow. Yeah, I'm talking to him about that, and he's like, you're crazy. You know, go to college. So yeah. I did. Where'd I went, you go? Uh, to, Whit- to Whitman College in, in Washington, small yes. small school. Yeah. And at that time, in the Northwest, that's where the beer mecca was. There was mm-hmm. no San Diego breweries or anything at the time. And um, then I'm like, oh, God, there's a lot of great stuff up here, you know, with J- Deschutes, yeah. the Mere Pond, and, and all that stuff, and New Belgium. And um, so then I started getting into home brewing and realized I wasn't very good at that mm. at all, but mm. I liked beer still. Um, but the exposure to craft beer was a big thing. Um, and so then I just started, you know, it was the pipe dream mm-hmm. and talking to dad about that, you know, coming home for vacation and 
bringing home beers that we'd never tried before from the Northwest. So were you educating him in a way? Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. And he, we would always, you know, bring home, uh, it, when we would try the beers together, oh, this is great. And wouldn't it be fun, you know, and coming up with beer names and, you know, making doodles of what we would name the beer, but it was mm-hmm. never something we ever thought would happen, but it would always be fun to talk about. And then, um, it really started getting a little bit more serious, you know, getting into the, the whole spreadsheet thing at the time and thinking, okay, let's, hmm. let's build a business does plan. Does it pencil? It yeah, does it pencil. I think the first thing when I came back during undergrad was, okay, we need $250,000 to start this thing. We can do this. And we were like, oh, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And, um, that's a house at that time. That's I a house mean, at that time. Yeah. And little did we know it was way beyond that amount, but it was, um, you know, it was fun to be able to build out that spreadsheet. And that spreadsheet just continued for, for years. Mm. Keep, you know, keep looking at that. And then um, then I went to study abroad in, in Austria or in Vienna. Mm-hmm. And that was a whole new exposure to beer. For sure. That was like, okay, this is, this is amazing. This yes. is real. And so different, right? So different. But equally, it, it, it's equally interesting and engaging right? and provocative. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just... It was like, okay, this is great. And then kind of having the family connection over there and, yeah. and then thinking, okay, this, I want to make a run at this and kept talking to my dad about that and saying, okay, we're going, we're going to make a run at this. And then went to grad school. He's like, go to grad school and came back to, to UCSB and went to grad school. Studying there. what? What did you study undergrad? So undergrad, I was in, into environmental studies and politics. So I, was, I thought I was going to, I was, huh. and I started doing GIS mapping and urban planning and said, this is what mm. I want to do. And then worked for the city of Santa Barbara planning agency for the mayor at the time. And, mm. um, and that's what I did in grad school. I did economics mm. and planning and I actually worked for San Luis Obispo, came up and did a project. That was my master's thesis was mm. transferable development rights. Little did I know I was going to be getting into to beer <laughs> later on, but, um, everyone's like, how, you know, how'd you use your, uh, your degrees and a lot of the stuff from an economic standpoint, you absolutely use. I totally. So I have no doubt. But that was that was an interesting thing. But you're committed enough to that to go to grad school. Oh, I was super into it. Yeah. I was a super like map geek and and thought I wanted mm-hmm. to do that because it was never really going. The beer thing I never thought was really going to happen. It was always just something fun to yeah. talk about. And then um, you know at that time it was. I didn't know, but when we were mapping the downtown Santa Barbara area, I ended up mapping the funk zone, which we, now we have a location yeah. there at the time. Hmm, um, so it was kind yeah. of funny. Um, but yeah, then had, then after grad school, uh, started a company with a buddy of mine out of Whitman, um, down in Los Angeles and had that for 10, 12 years. And in, in environmental or mapping and no, no, that oh. was totally something separate. Again, popped in, it was called garage envy and we tricked out garages and had a TV show on the DIY network for a while, which was kind what? of a trip. Yeah. Totally random. My life is fairly random. It is random. <laughs> scattershot. Yeah. Scattershot. But, um, well that sounds, um, that sounds very like sexy and, mm-hmm. uh, a DIY network show sounds yeah. really exciting. Yeah. It was exciting. It was a great way to, to, to cut your teeth into business too. I mean, to have mm. to make payroll was something, a great, yeah. great exposure and, uh, to, to learn about marketing and advertising and, um, consumer uh, purchasing was helpful now, you know, especially in the beer industry. What kind of things were you doing to garages? Oh, just everything absurd. I mean, we did like... Are you like uh, polishing the floor, that kind of like polished concrete? Oh, for sure. I mean, we did, you know, Jay Leno's garage and we did, you know, the garage for the Indy... Uh, Indy cars wow. to to someone who like I have a terrible garage I just need it cleaned mm-hmm. so all over the spectrum and kind of develop that and um, yeah are cars a thing for you 
cars aren't they became a thing just because just you know by osmosis being in, yeah. the, in the garage um you know i love cars i love old cars but if you tried to have me fix one i'd probably break something yes yeah right. <laughs> same yeah well did you why did you start i'm sorry i just i'm gonna be hung up on this yeah, for a little yeah, bit yeah. so so the garage envy thing i mean how did you start that was it you just started cleaning out your garage and you're like hey i'm good at well, this yeah, or you're doing it with a friend it was right out of grad school and i was going to go into uh urban planning and mm-hmm. redevelopment looking had all my the resumes out and ready to do that and I was approached by um, an old, one of the uh, uh, presidents at C.B. Richard Ellis down in, in Los Angeles who was a an uncle of someone I went to Whitman with. Mm-hmm. And he's like, listen, I'm just trying to do some research. Can you come work for me for six months mm-hmm. and uh, see if there's a business there? And then you can go on your merry way to go get a real job, right? And another buddy from, from Whitman who was a designer at Pasadena Art Center was – um, going to school down there and we were both employed to do this six month kind of research project, to see if there's a business and we did it and fell in love with it. We're like, dude, there's a real mm. business here. And next thing, you know, you know, we're mortgaging the house and going in, you go in my, my new wife mm. at the time was like, what are we doing? And what, you know, I'm like, this is great. We're, <laughs> we're going to LA and this is a new business. But I, you know, my grandfather was an entrepreneur and my dad was, and yeah. there's a knack for, or not an act, but I just uh, a yearning, it compelled, yeah, yeah. just a, the idea of entrepreneurship and starting something new is just, yeah. it's just really found out that's what drives me. Yeah. So where did <clears throat> the, when did you finally pull the trigger on Big Mountain? At the same time I had the other business. So um, at that time it was, the, you know, the craft um, brewing industry was still small. I mean, there's maybe 1,000 to 1,200 breweries at the time. Now there's like 10,000 or something. What year was maybe. that, would you say? Um, like early 2000s, maybe? Early 2000s, yeah. Okay. Um, and so there were some players in the industry, but no one had owned the industry, and especially, um, you know, in, um, in kind of central coast California, other than, the, other than Firestone, yeah. um, who I went to school with, with Andrew. Um, oh. But... Um, but yeah, I mean, they were obviously an amazing brewery yeah. and uh, always looking at them as kind of the leader in the industry in the area. Mm-hmm. But other than them, there weren't any standouts. No, there weren't yeah. any standouts at the time, um, especially in kind of Southern California, other than a few. Mm-hmm. And so it was exciting. It was intriguing. And, and that old, you know, spreadsheet that we had, you know, starting developing, putting real numbers at it. And literally for like two and a half years prior to um, us purchasing the building in, in Bealton, where we're at now in 2008, we purchased it. Um, we just, it was fun because we had other jobs. My dad had his business and, mm. and I had mine. So there was no like urgency, like we have to start tomorrow. Mm. But I think we, we looked back, we interviewed 143 brewery, uh, breweries or brewers or something that some, someone in the industry uh, and just taking notes. Yeah. And the main question was like, what would you not do again? Like, mm. what did, what, how'd you make the mistake? So we had this like big, um, arsenal of information of, of maybe how to do it correctly or. Or to not make the same mistake. So, what, can, um, can I interrupt yeah. you to ask what were some of the things people said they wouldn't do it again, uh, that they wouldn't do? Wouldn't do again. I mean, a few of the things too in, in kind of launching a brand was they didn't develop their brand initially. They went to, you know, they got the brewery and really didn't do the, the market research. Uh-huh. Um, because they were jazzed about beer. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. a lot of it, you know, in the craft beer industry, there's a lot of people that are home brewers that mm-hmm. are saying, I can do this and I want to take it big. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's in, a, in the craft beer industry, especially today, there's, a, there's amazing breweries everywhere. Yep. The success and failure of those breweries really depends on how you can market your product mm-hmm. and how you can create an identity that people can be attached to. Mm-hmm. Because 
you can sell the beer once, but it's for them coming back uh, over and over again. Is there a connection um, to the people? Is there a connection to the brand, the locale? Mm -hmm. Um, And what's your identity to differentiate yourself? So um, I think that was really helpful to kind of do that research prior to, to opening. And I think when we opened, I mean, we had fairly developed, um, uh, logos and assets. So people thought we were bigger than we were when, uh, when I, we opened. You were so right about that. <laughs> Actually. Yes. It was sort of like, wait, where did this come from? How, and it kind of made me feel like, Oh, I'm not on top of things. Cause I missed this <laughs> little did I know you were just like coming out the gate with all that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was that, um, the start before the start that yeah. helped us. Yeah. Uh, when you well, what is what was your dad's business? What was he so in? he was in actually silver and gold and and reclamation. So the, like, so back when there was X rays, you yeah. know, before the digital age, um, when you went to go get an, an X ray, um, all the stuff where your bone would show, where there's mm-hmm. no dark area, that's that was silver that would fall go down the drain, and so no way yeah so he on the image you're talking on the about. image so that stuff would used to go down the drain and in 1972 not to bore you with the epa but they developed things so you can't put silver yes, down the drain yes. you had to reclaim it and so uh he got involved with his business partner at the time and they developed this kind of anode and cathode thing that would catch the silver before it went down the drain wow. and people it's odd but people would actually pay them to get the silver yeah. Uh, the silver, obviously, a commodity. Well, like mining. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they'd they'd get paid to take the silver, and they'd have the silver melted down into into bars, or put it into bars and sell the, the silver. What a cool. Yeah. So yeah, he saw an opportunity. Yeah. And went for it. Went for it. Yeah, and he that did did really so well with it. Yeah. Cool. Well, where did you? So so you coming home to mm-hmm. San Ynez, was that a hard thing after L.A. and? It was. I mean, I think when you're. If without kids or if you're single or all that, you know, to come back to the Los Livos specifically, it's that's it's, where your home that's, that's was. Where I, yeah, that's where I grew up. up okay. Yeah, um, Ooh, it's tiny. And it's then tiny. It was really <laughs> tiny. tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super tiny. And um, but I think that was you know always coming home. That's so beautiful. And then kind of yes. driving away, thinking, God, that's small. Yeah, you know, it's and, both. It's yeah. both. It's both. So you kind of get that that feeling, um, and then being in, in a big city like Los Angeles, when we were up in the Seattle area for a period of time too after after college, and that was fun when you're young. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know after having kids, that was the change. Mm-hmm. You know, saying okay, where am I going to raise the kids? And I want them to have the same experience I did because I was pretty fortunate uh, to be to to grow up in an area like that. You know, my yeah. kids walk to school to Los Angeles yeah. Elementary School now and all that stuff. So I wanted that for them, mm-hmm. but you have to create the the business to come back to. Yeah. So do. I had the two businesses and I was driving back and forth and, you know, get, getting, getting uh, done at work in Los Angeles and driving up to, to come to work and then turning right back around. So there was that, the, the dark years, I would say I was just being on the road all the time to try to start two businesses. But, mm-hmm. um, my dad and I spoke about it and the timing was the right time to get in the brewing industry. And I'm looking back on it. That's, that was one of the competitive advantages to us getting started because it was, there was more real estate on for tap handles and mm-hmm. shelf space. Yes. And we were able to make an impact, I think, at that time, which helped us. And now it's, you know, it became a very saturated market down the road. So I'm glad yeah. we did it when we did. Was that 2010? Do I have that 2010, right? we opened the doors. Okay. Yeah. And you started in Buellton. Mm-hmm. That location, I've actually never been to the Buellton location. Ship, I've been yeah. to multiple <laughs> others, yeah. satellites, but... Um, what is that on the west side of the freeway or on the right? It's side? on the west side. Yeah, okay. it's on the west side and on an uh, industrial way. And so there was no, yes. there's no industrial spots in in the valley. I knew I wanted to be in the valley to be a you know for, from a hometown standpoint. Yeah. Um, but it's tough to find places to actually have industry. Yeah. 
So that's where we located and, um, and that's the mothership now. That's where we produce the good chunk of the beer. And Buellton has really opened its arms to all different kinds of producers. But, um, I would imagine that that was kind of a vote of confidence from them to, so, I mean, I know so many, um, wine companies, wineries that have moved to Buellton because it's less restrictions Mm -hmm. and it's definitely like, uh, I don't know, it's user friendly for both the maker and the consumer. I think it is. I mean, they've been super supportive, um, and kind of letting us kind of grow and figure out, you know, uh, find our footing, um, but they've been supportive all the way and they are with a lot of the businesses there, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. So what was it like being in business with your dad? Amazing. Oh yeah. Oh, it was amazing. He's, um, one just because, you know, he, I, like I, I was telling you before, I think he was my you know best friend for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, he was like a brother sometimes, you know, always a, a dad, but, um, someone that you'd want to hang out with. Yes. And, uh, but he taught me a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he was, uh, very even keeled guy, you know, like it, we always joke cause he was the Libra, you know, he was mm-hmm. always just like, well, it'll, it'll work itself out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as people know me, I'm a little bit more type A. So he, it was good <laughs> to have him as a, a balance to me. So, um, but yeah, it was amazing. It was, it was really one of those things that, um, you know, in talking about it and wanting to do it and then actually experience it was, was pretty amazing. Mm. What kind of beer <clears throat> was he, what, like, what was his favorite beer that you guys made? Davy Brown. Okay, so I wanted to talk about, what's the name of the red one now, too? Danish Red. That's right. Yeah. The fact that you made, you know, 2010 Mm -hmm. IPAs for sure lighting up. Oh, yeah, for sure. But you made a brown and a red, and my husband, who you met, Mm -hmm. um, he is a brown, red, amber, stout, porter. That's his jam. Right, right. So he always really respected that you guys put a priority on having these different kinds of beers on the menu. Yeah, that was one thing when we were talking about developing the beer styles was we wanted to brew beers that were true to style. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a few beers that people kind of just, that weren't trendy, but were amazing beers historically. Mm -hmm. Um, And in putting those, you know, putting those out, everyone's like, well, those are kind of be your nuanced beers. And, and, you know, they're, they're up there in the rankings as far as sales and, and attraction because there's not a lot of people doing it. And plus they're really darn good beers. Those two beers are uh, some of our most award-winning beers, not Mm -hmm. only for us, but uh, like in the country. Um, Today, we just got a thing that it, uh, craft beer and brewing uh, magazine, had Danish red as the top 20 beers of 2022. Yay. That just, we just got it this morning. So that's it's really, it, it feels good to make a beer. That's, uh, you know, it's a Vienna, Vienna style lager, but it's, um, mm. to just get some, um, you know, notice. That's great. I actually didn't realize that. So it's a Vienna style lager, but it's a, is it, a, well, it's Brown. So is it like, it's a an darker? amber. So the Dan- Danish reds, they had the Davy Brown's a true American Brown. Um, the Danish red lager is a Vienna style lager, but there was a, there's a Danish beer, the Tuborg Red, mm. um, or, and I'll I'll butcher it, but it's a, it, how they say it in, in, in Danish is a Tuborg Rot. Mm. It's a rough oh, language. Oh, right. Rot. I recognize that. Yeah. Um, and my wife's Danish from Solvang, a Dan- Danish family. So um, wow, yeah. So you married into royalty. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you, they they have yeah they, they they own the building where the Abel Skeevers are made, the Solvang restaurant. So that's you got to go down oh, there. Oh my. God. Gosh, it's so true. Are you sick of Abel Skeevers? No, I'm never sick of them. Are you they kidding? Are so, so good. Good. So good. But so. that's a real, um, it's a real, like if you're talking about regional food, <laughs> yeah. it's regional, but it's regional to another continent, but also to here. Yeah, for sure. And it, uh, but I fell in love. But we, when we were studying abroad, 
um, we went over to visit her family uh, and, and, uh, in Denmark. And then they had this beer that was, um, they don't make it anymore. They, it's like a seasonal specialty now, but it was a Vienna style lager. Mm. Um, uh, that's the, the, you know, essentially the style with the Vienna malt mm-hmm. um, that it was modeled after. So that's very cool. That's your so did the two of you decide what the opening slate of beers was going to be? Uh, you had things that you wanted that you had in mind because you didn't brew them, right? Correct. Yeah. I think it's always been um, the thing where we, our our uh, uh, participation in the process is really like, hey, I really like this style of beer. Mm-hmm. Can we do something similar or our own take on it? And then we work with the brewers essentially to kind of come up with a few trials and then mm-hmm. and nail it down. So, how many brewers brewers are you working with right now? Uh, well, we have our main uh, brewer, Kevin Ashford, who's been okay. with us for um, got eight plus years now. He's Good. amazing. He's our he's our recipe developer, um, who's super solid. Uh, he has a team um, underneath him that's that's great. And yeah. he, you know, it's, it's really we've retained a, um, a good crew over the years, uh, not a ton of turnover, which is great. Mm. Um, but I think that collaboration, the, one of the coolest things about being in the brewing industry is actually that meeting where you sit down with the brewer and just come up with cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's the kind of creative side where it's like, I just pinch myself. Cause that's a really cool part of it. Yeah. You know? Do you guys make a lot of seasonal stuff? I can't remember. Yeah. We have a lot One of, like, yeah. If you go to the tap rooms, there's, you know, 15 to 20, uh, beers on tap, um, that you don't see out in the market because you have to, to put something in a can and then, oh, yeah. there's a lot of cost and development to that. So we're always trying something new. Yeah. I miss you guys. You had a place in AG yeah. that we would go to, um, and I've been to the funk zone, yeah. um, but yeah, I feel like I haven't had an opportunity. And you were going to be in slow there for a while. Yeah, yeah, we're look, we were looking to come up this way, and you know, COVID changed a lot of things. That's why we're out of you yeah. know the AG location, um, and that changed a lot for the whole retail industry. To be of honest, of course, yeah. And you have a good amount of retail. I mean, yeah. stock in retail, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's you know, we've kind of hedged. You know, uh, it was nice having the retail um, part of it, but it was also the thing that kind of kept us alive and kind of to outlast and come through COVID, which a lot of breweries didn't survive through that Yes, is because we had, um, you know, the distribution and shelf space because everyone was going to the store. Our sales Mm. were through the roof on, on packaged beer, but you know, no one, the, the breweries in California got shut down, which was painful. So a lot of our friends didn't make it through. Yeah. I've heard that people, uh, went nuts buying. Oh yeah. Big time. <laughs> yeah. What was the pandemic like for you? I mean, just on a day to day, were you were you home or were you in the? Oh no, it was all hands on deck. Yep. Um, you know, it, it was kind of. I hate to say it. it, it there was there was a, a rush to it because there was there was it's unprecedented, right? The mm-hmm, pandemic, mm-hmm. at least for our generation. Um, and how to pivot during that was like okay. Salespeople, you know, you're not going out to the bars anymore to yeah. sell, but now you're going to work in the tap rooms yeah. and you're going to deliver beer mm-hmm. and you're going to deliver food. Everyone's like, I'll just do whatever, uh-huh. you know. Um, and so you had to pivot every day. It was like, okay, what should we do differently? Or how do we advertise? And um, I remember throwing beer and food in my car and being like, let's go, let's go deliver. And you there know? is something cool about that. There is, sure. you know, not to, to make light of, of what that pandemic was to so many people, but it was it was a rush to be like, okay, we got to survive, mm-hmm. you know? So, and, um, the team pulled together and, and we came out on the other end, which is great. Yeah. Well, so you had some change with, yep. um, the number of tap rooms. What's the most you ever had is now it is with, now with, with, with so nine. nine. Yeah. We'll have nine, uh, with the addition of, uh, the four in Los Angeles. And we have, um, yeah, another one, uh, planned in, in Santa Barbara area. That's going to be tied into a, a music venue. 
What's that? That one is, uh, it's going to be an Agua Santa restaurant. That's okay. And tied into which music? Um, there's a new music venue um, down on kind of lower state um, um, near the underpass um, yeah. that we're teaming up with uh, some people that are in the music industry to open it. It's about a thousand person venue. So it'll be really unique. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. So we're really excited about that. We need more venues like that. Yeah. Small. Love the bowl. Oh, yeah. Love it. Yeah. And, and you know, the little bars, that's all great. Right. But something in the middle there that's really set up for, for sure. touring bands. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that distance from Los Angeles and they can play at the Bowl and then play at our yep. location. So really excited about that opportunity too. But right now that's the opportunity in, in Los Angeles too after COVID and now people are coming back out again. So there's kind of a revitalization of retail in LA. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're pushing hard in the LA area. All right. So tell <clears> me, you were telling me before we started recording yep. about these new four new spots yeah. in LA yep. and they're uh, niched out. It's not like, plug and play you walk in and it's the same Starbucks that you see everywhere. No, exactly. they have their own personality. Own personality. And that's what we wanted to do. We don't want to be a chain, mm-hmm. you know, even our, you know, old existing locations all have a kind of a, a, a difference to them, mm-hmm. um, a uniqueness to them. So, um, but yeah, there's one that's going to be a logger house, um, focused you know, solely on development of loggers. Um, a little bit more of a Germanic vibe in and there. brewing in there. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, are all of them, they all have brewing, they'll, they'll have brewing capabilities okay. in there. Um, one of them will, another one will be another Agua Santa Cerveceria that, mm-hmm. that down there. Um, so that they'll have their own line of, of beers there too. Um, and then we have one at UCLA campus, um, so cool. the Broxton, it's a historic building. Um, so we'll be converting that over to a Fig Mountain UCLA, Fig Mountain University. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're excited with that. We, we just, uh, brought on announced earlier this, this week, but, um, Victor Novak, who was actually formerly, he was at Taps Fish House, an award-winning brewer, and then he and it was at Golden Road for a while. Um, but an old-school, amazing brewer um, and very well-known down in L.A. So he's coming on to help Kevin mm. for those stores because they're their own beast. But he's huge on innovation. So mm-hmm. we'll kind of use these as test kitchens to, to develop and also just bringing more nuanced beers to the to the uh, consumer yeah. out there because people always want something new. It used to be like, okay, I'll stay with that beer forever. Yeah. And now people are like, what do you have this week? Yeah. You know? Yes. I have a balance mm. of both of those. I mean, I have the ones that I can always rely on mm-hmm. and they're in the fridge, mm-hmm. you know? But but yes, I am interested in what's new. And I feel like the industry is changing in terms of what what's trending, what people yep. are asking for. Yep. What do you see in the tap rooms? What are people asking for? Well, I mean, there was, you kind of see the, the, the trends change. Obviously it was, you know, traditional style beers and then IPA for, you know, is, is, is still currently king. But, um, I think that's, that's changing. Um, there's a huge pushback towards loggers, mm-hmm. which I'm really happy about. Wait, tell me about that. Why are you super happy about that? Well, I mean, we, we make a lot of great loggers, and I think, um, I mean, you can really, if you go to a brewery, the first thing you should do to test kind of like their, their quality or their cleanliness is to get their lager. It's the least amount of ingredients. Mm-hmm. You can't fake anyone out on the lager. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're rushing it or using the wrong ingredients or your fermentation's off, you'll be able to tell it right away. Hmm. So it's kind of that canary in the coal mine uh, beer you should always try. Um, so they're the toughest to make well. Yeah. Um, they also take the longest, right? So people always think, oh, it's a light lager. It's the cheap beer. Yes. It's the exact opposite. Um, the, re- the tank residency time, they sit in those tanks for so long, you know, they have to sit there and lager, essentially, I mean, store. Mm. Um, and to really kind of have a softer lager. So to, that's the, kind of the, um, the brewer's beer, I would say. 
That is so interesting. And I've heard it before that it takes more capital, mm-hmm. more input, um, more, I don't want to say expertise, but it takes more energy to yeah. make a lager. But often they're priced lower yeah. um, and they're often lighter ABV. And right. so it, the tendency is to think that it's just like a cheap, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. throwaway kind right. of thing. The willingness to pay in economic terms would be like, you know, okay, well, I'll pay X amount because yep. tons of hops in there versus a lager. But. And, and uh, you know, our big major Anheuser-Busch and all those guys, oh, I yeah. mean, they, they taught us to feel that way. For sure. Yeah. That's what we were, we were fed. Yeah. And now, you know, just learning more myself uh, in being in the industry for a while and learning from so many other great brewers, there's so many different types of loggers. I mean, yes. there's dark loggers, light loggers. I mean, there's hoppy loggers, yeah. everything. Uh, Bohemian, um, German style. And that's why, I mean, that's why we started Loggerville, essentially. Loggerville, the, the mm-hmm. festival that we put on. So when we bring all those, those loggers in from all these great breweries around the world, people are like, oh my God, this is a whole, you know, breadth of, of, of styles that we didn't know that actually existed. A Baltic Porter is a lager. Um, had no idea. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? I didn't either until I started talking to the brewers and getting into it. And it was just like, it's so, it, the great thing about it is for me, a lager is softer and rounded, a more developed mm-hmm. beer. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, I think it's something that's, that's really kind of growing now and people are becoming a little bit more exposed to it now and appreciating the loggers more. Mm. What, tell me about Loggerville. So Loggerville, uh, we hold each spring, I think it's in, in April this year. Um, and we have, it's an invitational. Is it at, um, it's in Bealton. Bealton. Okay. Yeah. And, um, we invite, I think there's maybe 40, 50 breweries, uh, that we try We go through and try to pick breweries that really, uh, focus on and appreciate loggers. Like it's a, a figure, uh, yeah, a figurehead kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not just like a normal beer fest where there's some random person pouring the beer. The brewers show up yep. um, to really kind of talk about the beers. Um, this year we'll have a competition associated with it. Mm. It's also fun too because the day before we get all the brewers in and we do a, a dinner, but we go on a big hike out in Figaro Mountain. And Gosh. so it's kind of a fun thing. It's kind of like a, a release for the, the individual brewers to come up. So they're, they're stoked to come up and, and do that. But those invitationals, um, the like ancillary mm-hmm. things that happen, it's so, it, it's, you get so jealous seeing <laughs> this stuff that you all do. Yeah. So much fun. What are some of the people that you had this last time, uh, yeah. that you really like? This last year we had, uh, Beechwood, uh, Jillian, yes. Jillian's an amazing brewer, um, top of his class. Um, and then Green Cheek, mm-hmm. uh, came up. Um, Alvarado, yeah. um, Russian River, mm-hmm. um, the list goes on and on. We had a few, uh, this year we're having Meisel, uh, from uh, Nuremberg. Oh, cool. Uh, we're actually flying over there in January to go do a collaboration beer with them. And then, uh, we'll make the other beer, the, the, the stateside beer of that collaboration as well and serve that at the festival. So they're coming fun. over. So. But yeah, Trumer, um, I don't know, Palinur, a lot of other guys are coming out. It's exciting. That is super exciting. Um, with collaboration. Yes. Do you guys do, I mean, I know, breweries for are sure. notorious for doing yeah. a lot of collaborations. So yeah. what are some of the collaborations you've done? Oh, we've done a ton. Um, I mean, it's it ranges all over from just the regional breweries that we team up with or buddies that we say, hey, let's do something fun and, and innovative. I think the way that that we're trying to, to go with collaborations now uh, is kind of think outside the box, whether it's a s- certain supplier that we're mm-hmm. tied, you know, like YCH hops is one of our mm-hmm. um, suppliers for our hops. So we want to kind of uh, experiment with some of their new yeah. supplies there or uh, one of our malting companies. Um, 
and then also just kind of doing some fun stuff. Like we're doing one coming up with happy hour shades, mm. um, mm. to do something fun to that's in this kind of the skate world. Yeah. You know, do something fun to, Playing. to yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to, to make, uh, to make some fun and, and, and have fun with it overall. But, uh, the collaboration thing I think is one that the brewing industry and now it's large, but I think was, was very, you know, a small tight knit, yeah. um, community and the collaboration thing was really just brewers getting together to kind of talk shop and, or, Hey, what do you use here? Or what did you experience? I think that's probably the most that comes out of the collaborations is just getting the brewers together. Cause there's always something to learn. And, um, you know, sometimes you're like, Hey, can I borrow a couple of bags of this malt or something like that? So I yeah. think that's kind of the the uh, the genesis of the the original collaborations yeah yeah, yeah and I love that mm-hmm. you don't see that in a lot of other industries not right. the same way yeah it correct. really is a lot of camaraderie sure. and sharing yeah um what would you say you know you're talking about all the people you interviewed about what would you yep. do differently what's something that has surprised you now that you've been in business twelve years mm-hmm. which gosh that's a long time when you mm-hmm. think about it um. The older I get, the more recent, you know, 2000 feels mm-hmm. like, wait, that was just yesterday. Right. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> no. The kids in college were born after that yes, year. Yes. Um, <laughs> so what's something that you have been surprised by in owning this particular business? Because it sounds like you have a couple, you have a, a storied career, but mm-hmm. in this one, what has surprised you? Well, I think, and, and I, we heard this in interviewing some of the breweries that there's, there's. There's different sizes of breweries where there's kind of sweet spots. And, and if you're in a, a, a super small brewery and you, you're not doing production and you're not doing packaging and it's your local, you're on the corner, there's a, there's a sweet spot there. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of overhead, uh, not a lot of employees and costs of packaging and storage and all those things that come with growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and to uh, even a conversation I had early on with David Walker, and he was like, Listen, there's you get to a certain spot and you think you're growing and you're just, you're always ahead of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You, okay, great. You can save money on on buying uh, this malt, but you're gonna have to buy a silo, mm-hmm. and then you're gonna have to do this, and it's kind of this thing kind of leads on to it until you kind of really either want to plateau, or you're happy at that spot, or you feel that you you have your costs in line, and I think that's and it, I, this might be analogous to to most. Um, you know, production or manufacturing businesses, but I think especially in, in the beer industry, because you're also playing with consume, these consumer trends, you're trying to develop these things yeah. and also to have this plan for growth. And I, and I don't think our plan was ever to go take over the world. It's still mm-hmm. not that, that plan. It's, it's really trying to find that, that level of um, comfort in, in kind of the day to day as to where you say, okay, listen, we're, we're at this spot. We can do innovation. Um, you get costs in line because the costs are all over the board, not only now with like some of the inflation pressures, but just raw supply. I mean, there's, you know, aluminum shortages, right. you know, and then the war in Ukraine, you have, you know, the grain issues yeah. with, with wheat. Um, and so there's all these pressures on the craft brewers, COVID, you know, all the, all the stuff sure. that's like just one thing after another for breweries taking hits, labor, labor, mm-hmm. labor. It's, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a very specialized thing too. So you either bring people in and develop mm-hmm. them through that. Um, there are brewery schools and things like that that help train people. But yeah, um, but for the most part, I'm sure it's on the job. It's on the job training. Come on in, yeah. so, you know, put the boots on and, and and figure it out. So I think those are the challenges I didn't anticipate when you know that mm. spreadsheet. You know, yes, <laughs> it looked great right. on paper, yeah. and it t- took a heck of a lot more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So I think that's mm. um, those are all the things I didn't anticipate. You know, getting into it. Yep. 
Uh, you mentioned, you know, you don't plan to take over the world. Mm -hmm. I think something that's interesting about a product like Figaro Mountain mm -hmm. is that it's, you know, it's named after a place. Sure. And so it already has a certain level of local, right. you know, it, it is a local product. Right. But then you're trying to, you know, move into San Luis Obispo, mm -hmm. Rio Grande, um, down into Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I, do you think that that kind of, well, then you mentioned Deschutes and Rogue, and these are like, these are places that are also intensely local that, yeah. that became a brand, right. Russian River, whatever. Right. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of asking about growth. What is, what is the level of growth mm -hmm. that would be the extent of what you'd want to do? I mean, really right now and after learning I a guess lot. where would you be happy? Where yeah, would it no, be for final? Sure. And that question has, you know, changed over the years, um, you know, with the, when everything is frothy in the market and everyone's like, oh, you know, there's breweries going mm -hmm. back East and they're trying to open in 50 States. You know, we're in one state yeah. and we really focus really from, you know, Paso to San Diego. Okay. And that's and the majority of our business is really kind of central coast. And, mm -hmm. um, but the idea for Los Angeles, that was actually one of the first markets we opened. Um, and I think that's, there's a great um, craft beer community down there. I don't think anyone owns it outright. Mm -hmm. And I think there's that, that opportunity is there mm -hmm. for us. Um, but we didn't want to do it if we didn't have the breweries down there because we wouldn't be local. So that's why we're, we're brewing in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, it really is kind of a, you know, that tangential thing to, especially to Santa Barbara. There's a big connection yes. Yes, um, it is with huge. LA and Santa Barbara. So, um, and we have a huge, you know, an affinity for, for, for Southern California. So I think that's, all we need to do mm -hmm. is just stay in that footprint and do it well. Um, yeah. You know, uh, continue to deliver a consistent product, a high quality product, and really try to connect with our consumer. I think yeah. that's that's the business plan right now. Mm -hmm. You're not going to see us anywhere outside, and we don't need to. There's more than enough in our backyard. And I think with COVID and the adjustments in the market and the changing uh, the landscape in the beverage industry, you know, there's a huge push right now to to mix cocktails and, you yes. know, and all these other things. So I think for us is having a, um, a focused approach is really kind of our, is our future you know, business plan right now. I think that's smart yeah. too. Um, your dad passed away in 2019. Right before how, COVID. How did your workload change? How did the, the flavor of what you were doing change mm -hmm. when your dad died? Um, you know, my dad, he was, he was a big, um, he was a, the cheerleader uh, and he was the, the, the guy that would, um, everyone, you know, wanted to talk to when, when things were stressful or not. Um, he was that father figure for a lot of, of people there. Um, and I think what changed as, as me, me as well, right. A, a shoulder to, to, to cry on or lean on or mm -hmm. talk to. And I think, um, with that happening and then subsequently COVID right after, I think it was a shock for at least, you know, our company was just God, like this. To, to, to lose him. Um, but you know, I think my, for me, what changed was really kind of try, take a different approach. You know, it was when you have a crutch or have someone that you can mm -hmm. always just be like, listen, and is, uh, to try to, uh, digest things differently and then disseminate those out to the, to the company, um, a little bit differently. Cause you know, that everyone is, you know, all these people are working so hard every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, to, to kind of move forward with your mission. And I think they, 
they need that positivity as well. So mm-hmm. I think that's something that, um, I think I've been a little bit more focused on a little bit more cognizant of, yeah, mm-hmm. as opposed to being the, the, the type A, you know, nut job. I was always push, 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 go, go, go. You know, not that I've changed too much. My, my, the place no. would be like, yeah, whatever, dude, you're yeah, so, really. you're so calm now. <laughs> um, but I think that's maybe changed from my, from my mental state. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you have kids. I do. How many do you have? I have two, two boys, okay. uh, 13 and 10. Do you think mm-hmm. that you will, do you want them to, to work oh, yeah. for the company? Oh yeah, they are. They already do. <laughs> do they? Do we need to be yeah, concerned just, about labor law? Yeah, labor law. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, they, you know, look back at some of the little pictures of them, like helping out and doing little stuff like that. But you know, it, when they, um, is going up, I'm like, listen, you're, you're going to come out and earn some money and I'm going to pay some cash and you're yep. going to clean up the, go clean up the yard or go help with certain tasks and things like that. I think it's important for them to, to see how it, how it's done. My dad did that to me. I was, mm-hmm. I remember being in my dad's car at a young age and going to help him write at the accounts. Yeah. And he didn't treat me like a little kid. I'd go and I have to shake the person's hand and look him in the eye. And, mm-hmm. um, I think that, that was a, a great lesson learned from that. So that's, that's what I try to do with my kids and get them out there and appreciate hard work and yeah. get off their phones. <laughs> Oh my gosh, right. You said 10 and 13? Yeah. And I have a 10 and 12 year old. Oh, yeah. Just like, dude. I like this age though. Yeah. I, I mean, you can feel it coming. Yep. Maybe you're already there because yep. the difference between 12 and 13 is pretty vast oh, yeah. oh, for yeah. a boy, especially. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but I can feel it coming. I yeah. can feel a change in the yep. air. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's great ages though. They're starting with that just to yes. have like just conversations with them now, full in conversations. It's, just, it's just like, God, this is great. It is awesome, great. You so. can start showing them movies. That, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those movies that we watched when we were really little that <laughs> yeah. are now completely inappropriate. Yes, for sure. For sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, um, I was kind of curious also about your boys. Mm-hmm. So are they growing up in Los Olivos? They are. So they, they're actually... same year Yeah, went back home and uh, they walked to Los Olivos Elementary right, School. Right, that's right, you said that. Which is huge, and where I went to elementary school, which is weird. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it's just crazy, just a trip, kind of going back through the halls again, and I'm coaching their basketball team, which is awesome. Oh, we have a game tonight. Super nice. Pumped. What's, the, what's the mascot? <laughs> uh, the Spartans. Go Spartans. Go Spartans, right, it's big time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's fun. It's, it's, um, that's what I wanted for them, just come back and experience that kind of... Yeah. It's uh, a special place. Do you feel like Los Olivos has changed a lot for for them as children, as mm-hmm. opposed to you as a child? Yeah, I mean, I go back now that now there's what twenty eight, thirty eight wineries and down. You know, as, as okay, far as yeah. it's, it's there was like one or two, um, you know, wineries that were actually in town then. Um, so I think that's that's changed. It's a destination spot. It's yeah. a it's a cute little quaint destination spot. Um, but you know when the when the tourists go away, that's still a very small community. Yes, which yeah. is which is nice, and you know everyone knows everyone, mm-hmm. good or bad. You know it's it's mm-hmm. one of those things, but it's it's a great place. Yeah, Mayberry in Mayberry. a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. we so the Return to Mayberry was filmed there. I don't know if you remember that. No. Yes, the Return to Mayberry was filmed. That's oh, why I was just joking. Yeah, so that's why we have sidewalks is because the production company came in and we had they put in sidewalks. Well, thank you for See, that. See that little fun tip. <laughs> Huh? That's the tip. Oh my gosh. <laughs> all right. Well, we didn't talk about food at all, but yep. the the focus at least in the, you know, kind of the traditional tap houses mm-hmm. is yep. brew pub, yep. um flatbreads I think, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but Correct. uh 
if you mm-hmm. were going to celebrate your last day on earth because you're like, gosh, I've done, <laughs> I've done great things here. For you know, sure. Employed so many people, yeah. uh, taught so many people, including your own kids mm-hmm. and grandkids. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you eat on your last day and what would you drink with it and mm-hmm. who would be there? Um, oh, wow. This is a big one. I wasn't prepared for that. It's a little so, morbid. So the beer that I would have probably would be our, our Paradise Road Pilsner. Really? Tell me why. It's a Bohemian Pilsner just because it's so clean and I don't know. It, it just reminds me of pops, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit because we we would we would like to drink that beer as well. And I don't know. That's it's just kind of a a light lager beer um, that I think is the best paired with food. Any any food on on, on Earth? Yeah. Yes. Oh wow. Um, any food on? I would probably have to go. And it's kind of a kind of a funny one, but it's a Kaisekreiner from is is from uh, Austria. What is that? So a Kaisekreiner as super street food, <laughs> and it's a French roll that's kind of honed out, and they take the they take the bratwurst or whatever, and yeah. they 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 put that in. So it's a large thing, but they don't cut it. Yeah. So it's basically just inside this, inside this this uh, fresh like baguette, yeah. right? And they put this pep this uh, it's called a pfeffer, but it's a little. It's, pepper yeah. that they throw in there and they put this it's called sharf senf it's just hot mustard oh i like, i have a i have a jar of okay. hot mustard from belgium it's in my amazing fridge. yes so when you eat it it actually shuts your brain down for a second it's like <laughs> your brain the frontal lobe just stopped working because it's so hot um and that paired with the beer oh my god yeah that sounds yeah that sounds great for sure but and i'd i'd have I'd, I'd be eating it with my pops. Yep. Yeah, I knew sure. that was coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, the food and the drink in Northern Europe mm-hmm. is just, it's such soul food for me. I'm a sucker for it. Yeah, same, same. Yeah. So many carbs. I know, so many carbs, but that kartoffel slot, like with the, the vinegar and the little chives. Yes, and just, yes, oh, yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. I'm well, hungry just talking about it. Well, we're going to have to take a trip. <laughs> Only we could leave now. Yeah, I know. Jamie, my name twin. Thank you so much for coming. Absolutely. That was so much fun. Thank you for having me. You bet. Thanks so much for listening to the Consumed Podcast, which is now in its 15th season. Hard to believe. If you have suggestions for guests, questions, or comments about the show, please contact me via my website, letsgetconsumed.com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter, buy a little consumed pin or download live episodes on Instagram. I'm at consumed.podcast consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis and edited by Chris Lambert until next time. Thank you for listening.